It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily, the podcast that's dedicated to all things Premier League. And with the traditional curtain raised to the season less than a week away, there's a lot to get through. My name's Ant McGinley and to help me filter through all the news today, I'm joined by my colleagues here at the Sports Social. Uh, Marley Anderson, a long-time suffering Newcastle fan. Hello, yep, still suffering. Still no <laughs> signings to uh, to ease that suffering. Um, and no no real hope going into the new season, so bring it on. If you use the little button on your podcast player now, just to go back 10, 20 seconds, listen to the way he says hello. Just that first word, you can feel the pain <laughs> in his voice. And somebody who had a, an incredible season by West Ham standards last year, last season uh, was the, the resident boss around here it's Jim Salverson Hello long suffering here as well I think last season was a small blip on the West Ham usual performances I'm fully expecting us to be down at the wrong end of the table this coming season Mate look if you want to know about suffering losing the Champions League final that is suffering Oh shut up <laughs> <laughs> As I say we're, we're less than a week to go to the uh, curtain raiser the FA Community Shield uh, there's not been that much business uh, doing the rounds at least in the top six anyway but there could be a lot happening this week uh, Villa have just snapped up the highly rated Jamaican winger Liam Bailey from Leverkusen he's going to be their third signing of the window it's almost as if they know they're about to come into some money and that money uh, could well be coming from Manchester City who tabled 100 million uh, for Jack Grealish that seems to be their sort of the standard thing we want to buy a player there's a hundred million uh a few weeks ago they offered that for harry kane but tottenham didn't budge but there's news in the papers this weekend that harry kane is having crisis talks and wants to move north so city could potentially spend 200 million pounds in just one week on those two players however some other rumors coming around saying that that is the entire budget that they've got for the players so my question to you let's just start the ball rolling uh marley i'll go to you first uh, and I know, you know, the idea of buying a player with a transfer might be so far removed from your experience. But, <laughs> yeah. but if what, you could only what's a transfer? <laughs> what's money? I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> if you had the choice and you could only pick one between Grealish and Kane, who would you go for and why? Um, for for Manchester City, um, I don't think they need any of them, as in need. Because um, you know they've they've done everything without the pair of them, so why can't why can't they do it again? Considering they've not lost anyone except Aguero, but if they needed one of them more than the other, I would probably say Kane over Grealish, um, mm. just because they they just because they've got to replace Aguero. Um, I still think they're capable of of doing everything they want to do this season without any of them. But you know, if you're if you're talking what will make them absolutely untouchable, all those chances you create. And an absolutely ridiculous machine of a finisher like Harry Kane, you know, you, you're talking sort of a hundred points minimum this season in a Champions League, at least final, probably winners. Um, but it's the price you've got to pay for him. It's it's a huge amount. Um, 
there's also the the thing of spending. Do they do they really want to spend two hundred and fifty million pound in in the space of two weeks? Because um, that's a, a ridiculous amount, even by Man City standards. I know Chelsea did it a couple of years ago, but they were coming off the back of um, a two year transfer ban. Um, so it's it's a little bit different there. Um, so it's a case of whether Man City want to make that huge plunge and and really really wind up uh, the rest of football by uh, by say when making everyone say oh City are just buying everything and buying the league and all the rest of it as if clubs aren't spending money otherwise. The thing is, it's the first season where there isn't a legitimate argument to say that for Manchester City, and they have done it before, and they have spent big, and they have gone into the transfer market and filled the gaps in their squad. But this season, it's the first one where actually they can balance the signing of Grealish and Harry Kane, potentially, with the incomings they've had from transfers. They've, As well as Aguero and Garcia departing and the wages that those have freed up, they've sold a couple of their youth academy players. They've obviously got their winnings from last season. Actually, this season is the only season for ages that it does kind of balance the books. Although there are reports this morning that suggest that Jack Grealish is the transfer budget. So if that move goes over the line, I think it's the evening news that are reporting this today, that doesn't leave any money in the pot for Kane. So it might actually be an either-either situation they're looking at. Uh, Barley, I just want to draw your attention to something. You're saying about money. What is that? What's all that about? Um, It's... Uh, and you, if you follow us online uh, with our social media as well, you would have seen a tweet that went out just a couple of days ago, marking 25 years since Newcastle splashed out and bought Alan Shearer. <laughs> at which point, Man City were uh, finishing, I think, 14th in the Premier League. Do you remember those days, Mal? Are you too young? I remember those days. Uh, yeah, I remember those days when we were good. We could string at least four passes together before losing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, though, on on that, it just isn't it such a. I know 25 years is a hell of a long time, but just imagine, like, Kevin Keegan said at the end, when, when that happened, he was like, Newcastle United are the most forward-thinking, ambitious club in, in the world. And, like, it's, I mean, just compare those those words to what, what we are now, like, literally just existing until a bloke tries to sell the club and make as much money off us as, as he possibly can for his little high street empire. Um it's weird when you think about it. When you think about it too much, it's it's a bit depressing, really. But it's uh, it is what it is. So can't can't really do anything about it until until he goes, and then there's more um, ambition placed into the club where we can sign just not not players like Alan Shearer is in the, the best in the world, just players who want to progress the club a little bit. So yeah, twenty five years, hell of a long time. You look where Man City were then. Look where they are now. Uh, you look at the state of the Premier League, and it's it's just it's it's a completely different game, isn't it? Just picking up on something you said there, I feel like we should issue some kind of public health warning <laughs> in terms of taking anything that Kevin Keegan says and uh, expecting <laughs> it to happen. Uh, now, J- Jim, you picked up a, a few points I want to come back to about like how they sold off a couple of youth players. And actually, what's really interesting to me, and, and also you got a lot of reaction on a, a tweet you put out a, a, a day or so ago about the usual you know, City buying the league, and you said mm. that's tired now. Um, just to put this into perspective... So City have only signed one player this window. All this stuff with Grealish and Kane technically is speculation because the club haven't really confirmed that they've, they've gone through with these moves. Um, yet, just across the road at Old Trafford, they've already spent over £100 million, and nobody seems to be saying that Man United are trying to buy the league. Well, I think there's a bit of a myth about Manchester United that their transfer policy is supported or the incoming transfers are supported by the revenue that's made by the club. Now, I don't know enough about football finances to know whether that's true, but I don't think a club that is saddled with the debt that Manchester United are saddled with actually can hold themselves up as a bastion of well-managed football clubs. And I know that's not 100% fault of the club itself and they do have this heritage of being a huge money-making machine and it's to do with the way they run and the the way the Glazers have loaded the club with debt but at the same time there is an element of hypocrisy of going well we're doing things the right way and you're not and after all Manchester United you look at what they've done I mean this whole net spend thing gets banded around a lot doesn't it Liverpool fans love a bit of net spend chat (laughs) but when you look at Manchester United's transfer balances between the incomings and outgoings and there's a huge weight towards the incomings and the amount of money they've spent on players not just this season but over the last few windows as well so that's kind of why I get a little bit fed up with the whole Manchester City 
buying the league, ruining football kind of debate is because they are by no means out on their own in terms of doing this. And it does come a, a certain amount from the FFP argument last year in the court cases where Manchester City weren't found innocent, but they weren't found guilty either of breaking any rules. And I think it kind of this idea that they have cheated when there is actually not enough evidence to support the fact they've cheated and they behave in a way that other clubs have behaved previously. And if you rewind to whenever Abramovich came into Chelsea, 2003, was it? Something around mm. that kind of time, the way they went about their transfer business was hugely. It wasn't financial doping because you didn't have to financial dope at that point, but it was a case of a chairman spending his money bringing in exactly what players he wanted to make Chelsea the force he wanted them to be in football and compete with the big boys. Now, in my view, if you're going to have a. It, it's too late to have a problem with that kind of behaviour in football and that kind of people basically treating football clubs as their toys and investing what they want. There are rules in place to stop that happening now, but it, that it's already out of the bag. Pandora's box has been, been opened and you can't rewind to that point. So to accuse Manchester City of buying a league or unfairly cheating their way to title success, I think is a little bit rich and a little bit hypo- hypocritical from the other clubs in the league, particularly when the fans that are making those noises are Chelsea fans, Manchester United fans and Liverpool fans. I think as well, even with the fairy tale of Leicester City, uh, they had a lot of financial backing coming in from the Thai family that owned them and uh, invested in a lot of players in the squad as well. But what I want to do is just put a bit of balance into this. Um, and with all respect, which obviously means I have no respect whatsoever with what I'm about to say, uh, Mali <laughs> as a team at the other end of the table, um, is it as simple a case of just the money or is there a lot more to it? I mean, obviously, there's, there's some other things going on there because um, what I was thinking when Jim was talking about Manchester United, they've had a few high profile sackings, which they've had to put massive payouts for. And obviously, that's something that they've managed to avoid at Newcastle by just keeping Bruce in place. But is is it more than just having uh, the, the financial injection there? I know this is what uh, the owners criticised for a lot, but would would money alone make the difference for Newcastle, I guess, is what I'm asking. Uh, no, it's it's not. It's not really a lot to do with money, if if I'm honest. From from my opinion, it's it's just the the mentality change around the the club. It's the ambition shown by um, by those in charge. Um, you've got Ashley at the top, who's not involved in the day to day running of things. He he could not care less whether Newcastle finish you know eighth or fifteenth. It doesn't matter um, as long as he doesn't finish eighteenth, nineteenth, or twentieth. He's he's happy. He's not bothered. It's not a problem. Um, so it's it's not so much we need to spend money. We need to be competing with you know Everton and Aston Villa who are chucking money around and all this. It's it's not that. It's just when you see players you know become available and they're you know it's like Crystal Palace get them and it's like right well why couldn't we have got him like it's you know Conor Gallagher on loan this season for example good player but apparently he's going to Crystal Palace like he's choosing Crystal Palace over Leeds and Newcastle and like. I don't understand the Leeds thing because they're a forward-thinking club who would get the better out of him. But um, Newcastle, I can understand that now because there's no ambition at the club. There's no, um, there's no plans, no clear plans, no um, sort of plans for the future sort of thing. We're getting the squad's getting slightly older. We're not we've got no real youth players coming through. Um, the long staffs are, are the only ones, and, and Matty signed a two-year contract last season and made four appearances last season. Um, so there's another thing where. There's not much sort of uh, like plan for the future, um, and it's just everything really. It's like you, you know, we used to have a clear transfer strategy, um, and now the, stra- the transfer strategy is so rigid that it hinders us massively. So, you know, but now we look, we won't sign players under twenty six because they've got no sell on value. Like, okay, if if you're gonna sort of be aggressive in that market, then that's fine, but also they're not. They're not being aggressive. They're finding little players every now and again, like they found St. Maximan, which is proof that if you look hard enough, you can find talent. And then for some reason, they found Joel Linton, who was not really pulling up any trees in the Bundesliga at all with Hoffenheim. But all of a sudden, somebody who doesn't know football, and this is where it comes down to in Newcastle, all the board, all the ones that make decisions, the the director of football and, and 
well, not it's not that role. It's chief executive or something who's um, involved in that process. All of a sudden, just became sort of high on him and was like, "Oh, this guy's amazing. We'll get him for forty million. We'll sell him for a hundred in three years' time." And it's just you can tell when someone doesn't know football at the top of your club because you end up with players like that. Um, you end up with players like Jeff Hendrick, Hendrick on a free, and it's like, where's where's the plan here? Like the plan is only if the cheap will break, our, like if the free will will break our little under twenty six policy. Um, but it doesn't always work. We had to prize um, the board into into signing Callum Wilson because Joel Linton was was a flop, and we we decided we needed him and we needed to break that that. Um, those sort of parameters to to bring him in for twenty million quid, um, and he's proved his weight. Uh, he's, you know, he's worth his weight in gold because his goals probably kept us up last season. So, it's um, it's sort of there's no like reaction to it. It's all kind of like it's there, and you've got to work around these parameters. And every manager we've had has had to to jump through hoops at, at some point, and no less so than than Rafa uh, a couple of years ago. So, you know, he it eventually was too much for him, and now. Two years later, we see him at uh, Everton, who have got a clear plan for the future and have got money to spend and, and will back him in spending it. Uh, Jack Grealish is under 26, so he'd fit in with your policy. He would, yeah. Um, yeah, he's just got to sell sports direct to afford him, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, just picking up on the fact that uh, Villa have agreed that deal for Leon Bailey and they seem to be spending money in anticipation of uh, that Jack Grealish transfer happening. Um in the most Spursy move ever, uh, Spurs look to be using some of their potential cash for Harry Kane. Uh, and uh, looking for a Harry Kane replacement, uh, it looks like they've had a £43 million bid agreed for a 23-year-old Argentinian defender. <laughs> uh, Christian Romero, uh, accepted by Atlant- Atalanta. We'll have more on that as that develops. Uh, we're going to take Just on that, yep. don't... Don't think that just because Aston Villa are spending money means the Jack Grealish. This is very much a City fan view of things. Going, okay. oh, they're spending money that they already want in. Aston Villa have got incredibly generous and wealthy owners, and they have huge ambitions for that football club. So they will spend money no matter what is coming in, and there is every chance they will hang on. Hang on to. They will do whatever they can to hang on to Jack Grealish. I understand they're offering huge contracts at the moment. I think forty thousand a week or something in addition to what he's currently earning is being put on the table already. So just because they've signed Leon Bailey and they signed Buendia a couple of weeks ago, I hear they're interested in Todd Cantwell as well from Norwich City, which will be... I mean, if that goes through, that feels like a Grealish replacement already there. But just because they're spending money at the moment doesn't necessarily mean that Jack Grealish is going because they are a club with ambitions and they are a club with money. Jim, you sound like one of the Aston Villa fans that absolutely hammered us a few months ago when we first <laughs> we first alluded to the fact that if you're signing Buendia and you're signing this and that, you know, you might be selling Grealish and they were all just lining up in the DMs going, oh, you, uh, you don't know anything about oh, our owners. I, I, it's like, well... I think Manchester City will sell Jack Grealish. Oh, sorry, I think Manchester City will sign Jack Grealish, but I also think Aston Villa will do what they can and they will fight tooth and nail to keep him. So I don't think they're necessarily resigned to getting rid of him at the moment. So they might be preparing for it, but I think uh, the other side of it is saying, well, actually, they're building a team that would be enhanced by keeping him rather than would replace him, if that makes sense. I think you're exactly right, Jim. And given the difference in Villa's performance last season to the season before, you can see how they've reacted and built that squad and really developed it and uh, backed the manager as well. I think part of what we're suffering from with that is the fact that there hasn't been that much in terms of actual transfer action. And so a lot of the journalists and a lot of the newspapers are joining the dots, uh, adding two and two and getting five kind of thing. So, uh, but yes, you're right. I think we still uh, will find ourselves uh, signing Jack Grealish by the end of this window. Uh, We're going to take a quick break right now, which should give you enough time to grab a pen so you can join in with the next bit that we're going to do as we make our predictions for how the league table is going to be looking come May 2022. Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. Welcome back to the Football Social Daily. I'm Ant McGinley, joined by Jim Salverson and Marley Anderson. And for the last few years, you could well argue that this stage of the season has been the highlight for Arsenal fans. As thanks to the alphabet system, they currently sit atop the table. Uh, Now, yesterday on the uh, social media, we posted a link for you to share your top four and your bottom three 
come the end of the season. It's as simple as that. What are you saying? Just before we go into this, remind you how last season finished. Man City, Man United, Liverpool and Chelsea at the top. And uh, Fulham, West Brom and Sheffield United went down. They're obviously not involved in this year's table. Uh, Jim, would you like to go first on this one? Sure. How do you want to do it? Do you want to do top four first? Yeah, let's do your top four and then we'll take Marley's. All right. So my top four for the next season is, um, I think Manchester City are going to win it again, particularly with the additions of Grealish and Kane, if those transfers come off. I think Chelsea are going to finish second, picking up on their form from the latter half, the Thomas Tuchel era of Chelsea from last season. Manchester United in third and Leicester City in fourth. So Liverpool missing out on a Champions League place in my predictions. Wow. Uh, Marley, how does your top four compare to that? Uh, number one, Newcastle. No, I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Man City will win it. Um, I think whoever they buy in the, in the next couple of weeks will be enough to uh, to, to see them over the line again. Um, I think Chelsea will push them pretty close um, and finish second. Um, I think Man United third, and I think Liverpool will be relegated to fourth uh, in this in this sort of free for all top four battle. Um, I don't think they've done enough this summer, and I think they will struggle a little bit so yeah fourth so so both of you have uh, gone for the same top three um but obviously the main difference between the two of you is liverpool and leicester so uh what wh- wh- why why did you choose one over the other where do you see the advantage being in, in your choice over the other team jim well i just think i think someone is going to be displaced by leicester this season Every season they seem to build and grow and they invest really well. They bring in players that develop their team. And they did so well for the last season. They were hanging on and hanging on to second for so long and just dropped down at the last minute. I think they'll learn from that experience. I think the players they've got, they've not lost anyone significant out of that first team. I think the players they've got will be that little bit older, have that little bit more experience and I think they've already strengthened really well. I think Sumer from Lille is a great addition to the team. I think Ryan Bertrand adds depth to the squad as well and I think um, Daka, who they bought in from Red Bull Salzburg is a brilliant player. He's a player who I really wanted to come to West Ham when we sold Sebelair and he was being linked with a move to uh, East London. I think he has got a real talent, some real potential, and he'll be able to add support to Jamie Vardy for the next season because Jamie Vardy is getting that little bit older, so he could be the pretender to that crown. So I just think Leicester City are going to feature in there somewhere, and if Leicester City drop into that top four, someone has to drop out. And as Marley said, Liverpool, even with Virgil van Dijk and Gomez coming back into the team, and with the... um, how do you say his name? Kanate, is it? Kanate? Yeah, Kanate, yeah. I think with he, I don't think they've done quite enough yet in this transfer window to really add strength to mean they're going to improve on their performances last season. So I, I, for me, they're the team that will drop out of that top four. What's interesting there is um, you've, you've picked up on the new signing Dakar and he scored in the friendly they had against QPR on Saturday and Ian Acho uh, picked up the equaliser right at the end as well and he had such a great season especially towards the end of last season uh, which really suggests they've got the, the strike force moving forward we've seen Vardy change in the way that he plays as well still mm. competing for the golden boot but also uh, being much more uh, almost very similar in the way we, we saw Rooney develop in the later stages of his career becoming as much a provider as a goal scorer whereas um, and, and put this to you, Marley, because you've put Liverpool in that place rather than Leicester. Liverpool's front three seem to really sort of drop off compared to where they've been in, in previous seasons. Of course, they brought in Diogo Jota from uh, Wolves, who had a brilliant season that was marred by injury, but every time he came on the pitch, you were pretty sure he was going to score. Uh, obviously, with a fit team in form, that's a strong lineup, but... I, I suppose what I'm asking you is, has that time passed? It's it's almost sort of two seasons since you had that deadly front three that was scoring every single game. It's uh, it's it's certainly a question mark over Liverpool. I think um, thing is they they set the bar so high, didn't they, in that season that and anything mm. next to that is gonna look um, like they're dropping off. And yeah, I mean Mane probably had the poorest season. Certainly, of his Liverpool career, possibly of his entire career last season, so he's got something to prove. Um, Jota's position is like 
you know, what's his best position? Is he best in Mane's position? Is he best as a centre forward? Where does Firmino fit into that? So, I think at the back they're all right, but, but you know, coming forwards, it's uh, it's a little bit different. So, that's one thing they have to sort out. But I think, I mean, I picked Liverpool or Leicester to finish fourth just because Leicester haven't done it before. They've they've blown it um, two years in a row now, quite quite badly, uh, which they should never have done. Um, and this season they've got the Champions League as well, so they're uh, sorry they've got Europe as well, they've got the Europa League and stuff as well, so they've got to um, compete in that as well. And I feel like that's not a competition that they're going to go out of straight away. I think they are going to be in the, the they'll get through the group stage fairly comfortably, I would I would think. Um, and they they probably have eyes on winning it once they get into the the quarterfinals or the last sixteen at least. So you know it it might get to that point in sort of January where they're going. You know, okay, we we've got I don't know Olympiacos in the last sixteen. We can beat them, and then we can get to the quarters, and then we're three games away from winning the competition. Some other big teams might have gone out of it. Mm. Um, so obviously, we don't know how that's going to play out, but you know, it's not an impossibility that they could get to January, February, and say, you know what, we're going to try and win win the European competition um, rather than get into one next season and prioritize getting into one that we're probably not going to win the season after. To to winning one right here right now, so for me that's why I would uh, I would pick Liverpool. They've got the experience of of um, falling over the line into into the top four like they did last season. I still can't believe they finished third last season. It's one of the the most bizarre things I've ever seen. How they ended up third after that that collapse in in sort of April March time. So yeah, I think the um, the because they've got the bit between the teeth. I think and and something to prove. I think they'll come back and. Uh, and, and finishing the top four. My red flag with Liverpool here is that, and we talked about a lot last season with Manchester City, that Pep Guardiola noticed the need for regeneration. And we talked about how football works in cycles, that you have these three, four-year periods where a team needs to be rebuilt and kind of you need to regenerate it. I think the warning signs were there for Liverpool last season. And I know they were missing key players, and that is part of the reason why they didn't perform to their full potential. But I do wonder whether the signs were there that they did need to regenerate they do need to kind of rip it up and start again and I don't think they've quite done that they've lost Georgie Wijnaldum who I think is going to be a big miss even though he was kind of a bit part player I think he was an important bit part player and maybe they haven't really got the resources to regenerate rate in the same way that Manchester City did previously I would caveat my top four choices of Man City and Chelsea in that those positions in one and two however with it depends on what they do over the next couple of weeks. I disagree slightly with Marley when he was saying earlier that Manchester City have in their ranks everything they need to do what they need to do without signing Grealish and Kane. I kind of think Man City do need a centre forward, particularly with the links with Jesus away from the club being linked with Juventus. I think if he leaves and that leaves them without a recognised striker, I don't think even Pep Guardiola can't go a whole season without a recognised striker playing false nine in every game, surely. Even if you don't need it for plan A and plan B, you need someone for plan C. Otherwise, we're just going to see maybe quite a dull style of football from Manchester City next season. Maybe even more position-based with less cut-through. So I think potentially it pivots on what they're going to do and Chelsea as well they've not really delved into the transfer market yet but we're expecting them to do something they lacked a little bit going forward last season it felt like Timo Werner wasn't quite there with the goals as the focal point of their attack Giroud's left now as well so it feels like they potentially need to do something in the next couple of weeks if they are going to finish in those positions but that said I think they will and I think they will finish in 1-2 next year as a City fan, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Guardiola comes up with an entirely new system for next season. Not only plays a false nine, <laughs> also plays a false number one. And uh, we just bring on an extra uh, midfielder to cover that up. Uh, before we move on to the bottom three, let me remind you that if you want to join in with this and, and share your thoughts on it, you can do that on Twitter, at the Sports Social. We put up the post yesterday and um, yeah, you can join in and you can also throw shade at the choices of Jim and Marley. So let's look at uh, the bottom um, three, have you put your beloved Newcastle to go down, Mali? That's the big question. Um, my three to go down. I'm, I'm, I'm probably picking, uh, I'm probably picking Watford. I can't see Watford staying up. I just don't think they've got enough. I think they'll sack, sack the manager again. Um, possibly the one after that, um, and then sort of just bounce around. 
Um, I mean that, that 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 sounds quite reasonable given that the last season they were in the Premier League. I think they had four managers in the one season, so two <laughs> is pretty good going for them. It's, it's progress. Yeah, it's That's stability. That is, <laughs> it's them slowing down. I think the only thing that will stop them is the travel restrictions, flying in another manager from from abroad. <laughs> um, They'll only be going for managers from Green Corridor <laughs> or places you can drive to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some Scottish guy will be coming in like, who the hell is this? Um, yeah. To add, so, yeah, I can't really make much of a case for Watford. Um, similar to Norwich, I know Norwich have, you know, they come up and they always look sort of all right in spells, but they always go back down. Like they, I can't back Norwich to stay up because I feel like they've had, they had a better squad the last time they came up and they went down mm. fairly sort of comfortably after whacking four past Newcastle, I think it was. Um, and, yeah, so... Until they sort of do it and stay in the stay in the Premier League, like you can't back them to do it because they've you've seen them in this position before where they've looked great in the Championship and you know cantered away with it basically, um, and then they've come into the Premier League and struggled um, as well. They've sold Buendia, Rashica is uh, promising, but you can't you can't look at him and say he's going to be mint because you've just got no proof at all. You don't know what he's going to do. Um, they might sell Cantwell if this is if if if, if this rumor of Aston Villa buying everybody and everybody um, is is true. So that's another one they might have to look at. So I, I can't really make the case for Norwich, um, and then Brentford is the one I, I, I hope stay up because I like the way I like the just how they've done things differently. Um, I like the how the owner's done it, um, and he's gone got rid of the academy and, and made sort of a reserve side instead. Um, I like that he's he's buying, you know, he spotted Ivan Tony banging them in for Peterborough and said, yep, we'll have him. And all of a sudden he looks like one of the most valuable players in England right now. Um, and there's there's just like a solid plan there. You know, I was talking about Newcastle before, there's no solid plan. Like it's a complete opposite of Brentford. Brentford buy players that have been discarded by other teams and, and make the most out of them. You've seen it with Ben Rama um, when they sold him to West Ham for 40 million. I think they signed him for four. Or something like that, and then West Ham came up with forty million quid, and that's your that's your profit, which allows you to go and sign Tony, which is the allowance to to then get promoted the sort of next season. So, I really like Brentford, but it's it's one of them like do they play too nice to uh, to to cut it in the Premier League? Um, my gut instinct that is that yes, it is a bit too um, bit too fancy, a bit too like bit too nice basically and the 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 level of of um sort of step up is is too big for them um so on that i'd probably say all three relegated uh promoted teams are the ones to get relegated wow that that was you completely threw me then i was about to chastise you for saying stop giving brentford the love and tell us who's going down but uh (laughs) there we go uh so let's go over to you jim would you would you agree with any of those I actually think Marley's probably nailed his three to go. It never happens. The three that come up very rarely all go down. But I think that was my biggest like. Made... Oh, should I say Brentford or should I, which one should I pick? Because that is quite rare. But yeah, it's a weird. And it's I, a I weird world. Of, I, th- I think you, because of the way the transfer market is in this season, and all those clubs have failed to really strengthen in any meaningful way. I think you're probably pretty spot on. I think Norwich, they'll do exactly what they did. In previous seasons, and they'll try to compete in the Premier League with the season with the team that did them well in the Championship, and that rarely works without some meaningful investment. We might see Cantwell leave, we might see Max Aaron's leave as well. Billy Gilmore's come in on loan from Chelsea, which I think is a great addition to that team, but I don't think they're going to have enough to stay up. I think Brentford, and I'm with Marley, I absolutely love the way Brentford are doing things. I believe a lot of their recruitment is done via pure statistics and numbers so they're kind of like playing real life championship manager in bringing in players based purely on figures which is a completely way to different way to do things but it has worked so far for them but again you look at the team they've got it lacks premier league experience the players they've bought in i mean they've bought in kind of fringe players and youth players from arsenal and crystal palace and chelsea but it doesn't feel like any of them are really going to be able to have a huge impact and don't have that Premier League experience and then it leaves me 
predicting that Watford are going to stay up, which just seems like a ridiculous thing to do. But in my <laughs> official predictions, I did have Watford staying up and I replaced them with Crystal Palace, mainly to wind up Crystal Palace fans because they seem like a touchy lot at the moment. Um, but oh, I man. think as Leon was called on, on the Friday. podcast on Friday. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Go and listen to what Leon said about Crystal Palace on um, Friday's podcast because he predicted them to go down. And I agree with some of what he said and some of what he said was maybe not quite right in terms of the experience in that Palace side. Because the Palace side, they're not just a bunch of youth players. There is a fair amount of Premier League experience in there. And they have always got Wolf Sahar and it's difficult to see a team with a talent like Wolf Sahar in actually going down. But it feels like this is the season they're rolling the dice a little bit and they've let a lot of players leave then not necessarily replacing them don't appear to be bringing in any significant signings at the moment and as we know Patrick Vieira is a completely untried manager and he's in discussions at the moment he seems to be after anybody that's on the fringes of the Arsenal team at the moment and using his Arsenal connections to kind of bring in these lone players. None have got over the line yet. If he brings in a couple, who knows? But then again, Arsenal weren't pulling up any trees last season. So bringing in a load of Arsenal fringe players is hardly going to save you from a relegation battle. So I think Palace might be on the fringe. I think they'll imbalance their experience. They'll probably see him through. They're probably going to remain safe and it will be the three coming up that end up being the three going down. Just to throw in a, a little bit of hope for any Palace fans listening, a, a, a very important signing uh, which was announced yesterday off the field, uh, the backroom staff, Oshan Roberts has come in as Vieira's number two. And uh, for those of you who'd never heard of him, uh, he's basically uh, the man that was kind of behind the scenes and responsible for a lot of the success and improvement in terms of Wales and the national side and how they've progressed. Um, so in terms of building for the future, that's potentially a, a very good signing there in the back room. Uh, so uh, there we go. I'm just curious, just before we, we move on from this, uh, none of you mentioned uh, Brighton, who were, were sort of thrown about a lot last season, has been lucky to stay up. And, and also Wolves, especially now having uh, lost Nuno to Spurs. And then the only other one that was sort of in danger, although the managers uh, very highly rated, uh, was Southampton and Hassan Hootel. Do you think that they're all going to have a great season or are they just going to miss out because there's worse teams? <laughs> I think there's worse teams, and that's yeah. the basis of it. Brighton felt like last season was a bit of a development season, and I think we'll expect to see more and better from Graham Potter as his players kind of bed into his playing style in the coming season. I think there's a relative question mark over Wolves for me, because they were poor last season, but not poor enough to even get close to being sucked into any kind of relegation battle. But obviously having a new manager in there and... Espirito Santo leaving does put a bit of a question mark over there, but it doesn't really feel like they're going to be in the relegation argument for me. I don't know if you agree with that, Marley. Yeah, I think it's it's probably a case of, you know, with that little bunch of teams, and you can certainly throw Newcastle into that as well, by the way. Um, it'll be a case of, is the three worst teams in them? Um, and I think Southampton have a lot of work to do, especially if they lose Ward-Prowse. Um, if if mm. Villa managed to sign him, I think Burnley haven't done a lot again. But Burnley will be Burnley. But still, if you're 17th, 16th, 17th, you're not a million miles away from from getting relegated. Also, Chris Wood's been at the uh, Olympics as well, so I don't know whether he'll be um, starting the season for them or whether he'll be given a little bit more of a rest. Um, so Burnley are, are in that mix. Brighton, I mean, on the on paper, Brighton have lost one of the best players and, and um, not signed too many that you would sort of um, be be sort of fearful of um, they need a striker in the next two weeks otherwise they're they're going to have the same problems as last season they're going to struggle to score goals but be alright at keeping them out um, and yeah I mean there's there's a few teams down there that I mean Palace are a complete unknown quantity there's hundreds and well dozens of, of Palace fans yesterday in our direct messages on Twitter and, and quote tweeting like these guys don't know what they're on about but you can't take like I mean, Leon said, put some points, and and whether you agree with them or not, you cannot say that Patrick Vieira is going to in definitely improve the 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 squad. Like, mm. there's new players there, which you don't know where are going to gel, and there's an inexperienced manager who you don't really know much about. Nobody, nobody, nobody has watched every New York City FC game from Patrick Vieira's time there and gone. 
you know what? This will work in the Premier League because even if they, do you know what? Even if, even they, if they have away, watched that, it's, it's completely different. League. Exactly, it's a completely different yeah. level. Exactly, and you see them all getting a, getting ants up their ass about this thing. Oh, we'll be fine because we've signed younger players and we've. I'd just like to replaced. distance myself from that comment. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, t- I completely forgot. I didn't even know what I was saying then, but um, yeah, just they were they were all there, just like you know. Oh well, we've signed young players now, and we've still got Zahar. And it's like Zahar's wanted to leave your club for six years in total. Like mm. any given opportunity, I'd like to leave Crystal Palace. Nobody wants him. What does that tell you? It t- tells you that you, you know, you're, you're struggling. Like you're gonna as, as soon as anybody comes in with an actual check written out to Crystal Palace, he'll be off like, you know, quicker mm. than anything. So, yeah, I mean, Crystal Palace could be down there. They could do well. I, nobody knows, but. Logic would suggest that they might be, uh, they might struggle. There are nine teams, I reckon, in the Premier League this season that you could, you wouldn't be surprised if they got relegated, and that's that's huge. I don't know what that says about the quality of the Premier League this season, or whether what it says about the the gap between the haves and the have-nots. But I think very realistically, there are nine teams in that league that no one would be shocked if they ended up in the bottom three. Well, hopefully uh, those the fans of those nine teams don't all switch off at this point and continue to stay with us. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And remember... Good name them, did I? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can work out who they are in the next bit. Uh, remember, you can get all the latest news on your team by enabling the sports social skill on your smart speaker. And I have a question about silverware for you both when we come back in the next part. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. I'm Ant McGinley, uh, Jim and Marley joining me today. And as I started the show with uh, highlighting, uh, we're less than a week away. In fact, a, a week today, we'll already know who's won the first piece of silverware. The FA Community Shield taking place on Sunday between FA Cup winners Leicester City and Premier League champions Manchester City. Now, by the time you hear this podcast, Spurs will have found out who they're going to be playing in the brand new European competition, whose name makes it sound a bit like it's one of the old lower tiers of English football, the European the Europa Conference League. Uh, we've just had round two of the Carabao Cup go through, and so it feels like there's more competitions than ever, which is more opportunity for teams to win a bit of silverware. But as we know, despite all this, somebody's going to miss out. So just to wrap up today, and, and apologies, Marley, if you feel like I've just setting, been setting you up for this for the whole show, um, who do you think is going to be staying in the Premier League but also definitely not winning anything this season? <laughs> oh, mm, I wonder. Um, us, provided we hope we we do stay in the Premier League, um, yeah, we'll hopefully, and that's all we can hope for as well. Just mid-table obscurity. Um, I think. Vil- can can you really hope for that though? Is is that because that just feels like existing? And, well, we, we somehow fluked th- it last year. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I, I want to throw this over to This G- is Jim. typical Manchester City fan forgetting where they've come from. Hasn't it? How <laughs> mid-table obscurity was an objective <laughs> for about twenty years, rather than. I mean, it's that, that's that's the reality of being a football fan now in the Premier League. I think is you hope to finish somewhere between sixth and fifteenth and not get absolutely tonked by the big boys at some point this season. That's just what most clubs would aspire to and would class as a successful season well this is why I wanted to come to you Jim because you pretty much had that last season with West Ham what finishing between 6th and 16th <laughs> what we've done every season since we came back to the Premier League I mean at one stage they were talking about Champions League for you last season for quite a long time but no, but I don't think anyone who supported West Ham believed that was an actual real, realistic target it's just the expectation was never there for them to finish at that level Europa League was always kind of the even then, quite optimistic objective, and right. luckily for well, luckily or unluckily, we'll wait to see what the season holds for West Ham fans. That's where we managed to finish. Um, I mean, if you if you're asking who in the Premier League is going to stay in the Premier League and not win silverware, the answer is most of the teams <laughs> in the Premier League. I think there's a few in there that would probably are expecting to win something and won't win anything. I think, as we've already discussed. I think Liverpool are going to come away from this season disappointed because surely their focus isn't going to be on something like the Carabao Cup where they do have a chance of picking up silverware. Manchester City love the FA Cup, Manchester United. They need to win something this season, so they're not going to be 
ignoring the domestic competitions. I think Tottenham Hotspur, if they lose Harry Kane, even if he stays, you know, to be honest, Harry Kane, I don't believe he's going to be the player with the focus he had over the last three seasons. If he ends up staying at Spurs, it's very difficult if you don't want to be there to play at the same levels, I think. I think that's that's just how the human brain works. So I don't think they're going to be a force that are in the mix for anything next season, even if it's a Carabao Cup. And I think Everton as well. They go into every season expecting they're going to win everything on all fronts and bringing in Rafa Benitez as manager. Now, Marley might have a different view on this. It, it, that's raised those expectations, but I don't think even that is going to be enough without serious investment in their playing squad to be competing seriously for any of those trophies, albeit there are always upsets in cup competitions and there's always a chance that one of those, a team, an Everton or a Spurs, do end up lifting a trophy. But I just, I think those three teams are the ones that are going into this season potentially expecting something, but not getting anything come May. I think what you've done there, Jim, is a good save, just in case we click this up at the end of the season to highlight, you know, West Ham winning the double domestic trophy. <laughs> I mean, I think West Ham are in real trouble this season, to be honest with you. I think, I don't, because of the reasons we already have talked about in the second section about the, the teams that are going to get relegated, I think there's some really poor teams in the Premier League this season that will save West Ham. But I think the Europa League competitions, the complete lack of investment in the playing squad so far, although there's some interesting conversations and interesting links, I think the disharmony between the board and the fans, which seems to be bubbling up again, I think West Ham could be in a little bit of trouble this season, particularly if we get off to a poor start. Molly, I, I want to pick up on something Jim said there, but I want to put it to you directly. As, as one of the teams that Jim would class as the, the 16th to the sixth to 16th teams um, that he pretty much have been for the last few seasons and are expecting it this season probably as well. If that's the case, and if that's the reality for, for where you are, and, and that's accepted... Why was there such a a hoo-ha, for want of a better phrase, about the European Super League? If you kind of feel that you, your team is just there, that's the reality of your team, the day-to-day basis, then really, why why be so bothered about just that being a more permanent fixture? What what, what do you mean? Like, Because it, well, it would propel us up the league by default. Well, no, part part of the reason, part of the default, <laughs> default. <laughs> no, but part part of the, part of the re, one of the things was the fact that there would be no relegation, there would there'd be no promotion, and it, you would be shut out of it, and there'd be no hope. But effectively, what Jim was saying there is, you're already shut out of it for whatever reason, be it money, the the the, the history of the clubs, whatever that's that's bringing the players to the marketing, whatever's behind it, is there is already this gap. In the same way that Jim's saying, there's a there's a big gap between the teams at the top and the teams at the bottom. You've got the, these teams that are kind of stranded in the middle. Yeah, but the, I mean, it might be something of a glass ceiling, but there are there are always, you know, a chance of, of breaking through that. You've seen it with, I mean, Leicester's the ultimate example. You've seen it with um, with West Ham last season. West Ham were probably one of the favourites to get relegated last season, uh, or one of the outside shouts even, and they ended up sixth. And you know, could have been in the Champions League with with ten games to go. They were they were fourth, and they were they were smashing it. So there's always that's football's about dreaming, and it's it's about mm-hmm. it's about ambition. And you know, if if we get this guy and this guy and, and this manager or that manager, we could get up the league and if you I mean the Super League just takes all that away from you and it becomes so mechanical and methodical and boring that what's the point and just so so watered down as well when you see all the the, the top teams play each other every week the the best thing about football is seeing top teams play each other once or twice a season because it it makes the occasion bigger um and yeah when you know obviously if the Super League happened and, and there was no relegation or promotion in the Premier League or something like that then it it would just kill it off. Like the one of the exciting things is probably like, will we get relegated this season? It's like it's kind. Of, it's at least it's summer to talk about. You know, I mean, if if I had a conversation with every Newcastle fan, are we going to win the league? It'd be a very short conversation. It'd be nope, 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 nope. And then it would, but it would be like, what do we have to do to avoid relegation? It's a little bit more um, open because you know, if we get this player and that player. In the summer, then could we finish towards tenth? Like we finished twelfth last season. I don't know how it, it'll it'll baffle me for the rest of my days on this planet. How we finished twelfth last season, but you know, 
could you, you did it and by default you're only five or six points away from a top half finish so you know could you could you build on that and and you know could you mm. could you could Bruce Ball finally kick off and could the Premier League uh, finally you know deal with an unhinged Steve Bruce playing his way and taking his gloves off and all the rest of the shit he promised last season that didn't actually materialize into anything decent but yeah it's just it's one of them and it? it's like you, you just want to dream you don't want to have that dream taken away from you um and that's what that's and what football's about the super league wasn't just closing the door was it it was kind of closing the door locking the door putting another door behind it then putting a layer of cement behind that door to make sure no one opened it it didn't just mean that it was elitist that there was a top four a competition that only the premier could get into it kind of meant no one could ever creep into that be it a Leicester City or be it a club that got huge investment later on and like a Manchester City and then became part of that footballing elite it completely stopped that happening not just because even if there was investment into one of those clubs they couldn't then progress into the Super League because there was no promotion but also it completely limits the investment opportunities on those clubs below because someone who does want to be taken seriously as a owner of a football club and they want to do whether it's uh, whether it's kind of football washing or, or whether it's just kind of a, a millionaire's plaything, the appeal of the Premier League is suddenly detracted to such a level because it's not the Premier competition anymore that those in, that investment doesn't suddenly exist anymore. So I think that was the objection to the Super League or one of the objections to the Super League was it made that already elite top four even more elite and and it was not even a glass ceiling anymore it's kind of a it's a reinforced concrete ceiling yeah and that keeps it stronger which is why it's a good idea um (laughs) 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 Um, i i'm just gonna leave everybody with this thought for today and it's has anybody ever heard that phrase it's the hope that kills you yep yeah uh that's it for us for now thank you so much for listening today and thanks uh to jim salverson and marley anderson for joining me today thank you thank you Uh, my name's ant mcginley and if you like the show hit follow to get the next episode and leave us a nice review i mean please really do because it cheers marley up something amazingly and as you can tell he really needs it (laughs) football social daily from sports social Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.